Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, you fabulous design professional. You welcome to Business of Design, episode 184, Design It, Build It with David Supple. So whose job is it anyway? Doesn't someone have to take the lead on projects? My philosophy has always been if I get hired after the architect and the builder, I assume I'm not the lead. It's really difficult to take over the lead, in fact, in those situations. If you have a strong architect or a strong builder or a strong contractor acting as lead, then I can come along and be part of their team and work harmoniously. There's no problem in that. It's when the team isn't cohesive, it's not gelling, that the problems begin. Today's guest is an architect-turned-design-build expert, David Supple. He went to architect school and he realized, hey, wait a minute, I know how to read plans, but I don't actually know how to build a home or a building. How am I supposed to tell developers or builders what to do when I don't actually know how to do it myself? I love the metaphor he came up with which is, it's like a chef who writes recipes but has never cooked. It's true, right? We exit design school and we don't know everything. And spoiler alert, 25 years in the industry, I still don't know everything. And I should say there's actually no danger I will know everything. In fact, the longer I'm in this game, the less I know some days, right? But I've sure learned a lot by surrounding myself with other experts who have the skill set I don't have. That would be contractors, plumbers, tilers, electricians. I couldn't possibly do their job. I have no idea how difficult their job is. I just know that I don't know how to do it. Part of the magic I think we bring to clients is that we can introduce them to those key people and make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with team players, with people who will fulfill on the promise of our brand time and time again. Sounds like David Supple and his team is a one-stop shop as well. They do all the design and the build construction in one house, which I think sounds like a dream. Let me tell you about David Supple. He is owner and CEO of New Era Design and Construct. They are a Boston-based design-build remodeling firm. He's currently writing books on the subject of the history of the architect and builder and design-build. David graduated from Tufts University and then went to work for a design firm in California. And in 2005, he launched NEDC. New Era Design and Construct. David also says he's an aspiring comedian, but currently he only performs for his wife and children, and they're not buying it just yet. So we're not going to hear his stand-up routine today. We are going to hear how he makes the design-build process a smooth one for his clients. So he's one to watch, definitely, and check out his blog, nedesignbuild.com, N-E short for New England, nedesignbuild.com forward slash blog. I'm really glad you're here. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn. 
Hey everyone, we are back this week with Business of Design's five-phase recovery program. We are into phase four, which is long-term growth, and we're going to be talking about negotiating success. So that is happening on Wednesday, August 19th at 1 p.m. EST. Registration is open online, so make sure if you are a monthly or annual member or thinking about joining that you sign up for that. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cheryl. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. And now back to the show. Dave, it's great to see you. Or David. Dave or David. It's like me, Kim or Kimberly. I'm a Kimberly. Yeah. You like Kimberly? Well, I just remember all the time I was growing up, I used to go by Kim and my mother, who was from Arkansas, had a very thick accent, would say, honey, we paid for the whole name. You just go ahead and use the whole thing. So I like it. I like it. I hear her voice in my head. What about you? Yeah, my, my, Dave or David? Well, my, my dad was named uh, David. So he was Dave and I was David. You're junior. So, yeah, let's go with David. <laughs> not junior? No, not junior. Not junior. I never won by junior. Not ever, no. not junior. Okay, nice no. to talk to you. And I, and I was reading your um, the application you sent in, and one of the things that struck me is the idea of doing a lot of the advanced pre-preparation work up front and how helpful that can be for the duration yeah. of the project. If I said to you that our formula for success is 80% business and 20% creative, or put another way, 80% preparation mm. and 20% go time, I think you would agree. I would totally agree with you. It's, it's really about the process, you know, to have like consistent repetitious success. Right. You know, you could, a brilliant creative genius could, could like just you know, do an amazing job, but it's not replicatable. So when you, when you get into a, a, a company where now I'm not the one who's doing every single task, you know, it's all about the process in that regard. Like it's the foundation. But you are operating under a premise that I don't think applies to everybody in that situation, which is this. A lot of people who are single solopreneurs wear all the hats and they never can delegate to anybody mm. else for exactly that reason. And so we say to ourselves, I'll just do it. It's easier if I do it. I, I can't explain it. I don't have time to explain it. Like, did, did right. you find yourself in that position as a business owner ever? Um, yeah, I mean... When you are a solopreneur, I think it's easier not to, right? It's easier not to follow a system. You're kind of forced to a little bit or you won't grow and, you know, and have, and have the success. But did I, did I struggle with like shedding those hats and turning them over? I mean, 
Definitely. I, I would say, yeah. I mean, some parts, no, because I didn't like doing them. I wasn't good at them. <laughs> and so it was, uh, I, you know, it was great to, to get to, to be able to shed those hats. But um, I have to jump in right now and say this when we're talking about shedding hats. Of course, we're talking about delegating. The dream of every overworked, exhausted solopreneur is that one day I'm going to be able to delegate this task to someone else. I desperately wanted to delegate. I needed to delegate. I was drowning in work, and yet I was unable to effectively delegate anything until my business fell apart. I hit the wall, and I realized I have to have systems, repeatable systems and processes written down so that when someone comes to help, I can say, here, this is what I need you to do. Because I was always too busy to stop what I was doing and explain to somebody else how to do something. And so my most familiar refrain for many years was, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. I'm just going to do it myself this time. I'll show you how to do it next time. But guess what? Next time never comes. Now may be the perfect opportunity for you to stop what you're doing and start to write things down, right? I'm also going to say this one more thing, and then I'll stop talking and let David do the talking. But he said something I think is really important. He said when it comes to delegating, he looked for those tasks he didn't want to do, and then he made those systems repeatable right? If you don't want to do purchase orders, I don't want to do purchase orders. All I need is a system for writing purchase orders, and then I can hire someone to do purchase orders. One of my biggest challenges with hiring is I wanted someone to be able to do all the things. I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't even narrow the job skill set down, right? Imagine how much easier it is if you say, you know what, I need someone to do purchase orders and create quote requests and tracking forms. That seems like a job somebody would love to do, but not me. So one of the things I always recommend is create a love it and loathe it list. These are the tasks I love, so I'll continue to do them. These are the tasks I loathe, so I'm going to find somebody else who can do them, do them better than me, and I'm going to make them part of my profit margins as well, because of course, if I hire someone, I'm going to bill them out at a higher rate. Obviously, that each individual is going to bring their own creative um, you know, output and what have you, but, and that's part of the, but that, that is part of the system almost, you know, there's like, this is when you do that. (laughs) Right. This is when you come up with the brill. This is when you come up with the brilliant idea or whatever. And we should explain to everybody, you actually went to school to become an architect. And so part of how you operate now has to do with the gap between becoming an architect and, knowing how to build what you design. Tell me about that. Yeah, totally. Like, so just to back up when I, the way I got into design was in high school, I had this teacher who had been to, she was an art history teacher basically in high school. And she'd taken all these uh, photographs from Europe in her travels and other, other parts of the world. And I just remember like seeing these buildings and just being in complete awe and, and just, I, that was kind of when I decided I want to be able to create something like that. And so I was told, you know, you go to college to be an architect. And so that's what I did. Uh, but, you know, I graduated, I started practicing in an architecture studio and I, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Like I remember get talking, we were doing a job, uh, you know, and the, and the uh, contractor called and was telling me like, I don't, this drawing. And I just did not even know what I was looking at. It was just completely foreign subject to me. And, um, and so I was very deficient. I had never built anything in my life, but my job was to tell folks what and how to build. And it just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And I was very insecure. And around that time, somebody let me know, you know, the, you know, the derivation of the word architect is master builder. And that just sort of clicked for me because that made total sense because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create the buildings, but I was, um, I didn't know how buildings went together. So I was very deficient in that. And so I kind of set on my journey to fill that void. I, I actually went and worked as a carpenter, you know, to fill that void. And then I started a company that, um, that does, you know, does the architecture, does the design work, but also always executes and does the construction. Interesting. So master builder, not master thinker, master imaginer, master creative, but actually no, master builder. Totally and completely. And it is like, it's a trip because it has been made to appear that the designer and the builder were always separate, but right. that is really, it has been made to appear that way. It is not the truth. And I've like, I've gone down a deep dive into this. I'm extremely passionate about bringing the truth of this to society because it is the truth. And, you know, if you go back just a hundred years and you look in the dictionary for the word architect and builder, uh, they're, they're synonymous. They actually use uh, the, the same words to define each other. No wonder then you felt that sense of, I'm out of my league here. I don't have a language in common with the contractor. Yeah. And that's going to make it really hard yeah. for me to give the contractor clear instructions on how to build this beautiful thing I've imagined. Right. I have this analogy that is is really good. It's like it's like being a chef, and your job, and you're and you're the you know the head chef, and you have all these cooks, and you're telling them you know how to prepare the meal, but you've never cooked in your life. Right. You know you've just learned how to write recipes. All you've learned how to do was to, you know, theoretically mix ingredients, but you've never actually done it. Um, you know, you would be insecure. You would be like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, every single interior designer listening is probably saying, yeah, of course, that's exactly how I feel or felt when I spoke to contractors. So until I started being on job sites and learning from the contractors, and honestly, yeah. in light of what you're saying, I think if I had to do it again back in 1991, I would have signed up to be an apprentice to a contractor before I took my first design client because it would have fast-tracked my education by so much so much totally i agree with you and, and it's, it's really why i'm so passionate about it because like here i am you know i should have come out and been prepared to produce you know and but i wasn't and, and it's really it's really the educational system that has created this separation and this disconnect that exists in the industry and um that's really was the problem, but it's also the solution. So um, design build curriculum, which is get it's, it's now taught in over a hundred universities. It's really become, it's really being recognized now. And we are seeing a return to this because it just makes sense. It's really just the natural approach. 
Well, and I believe it's the best thing for the clients as well. If the clients hire three separate teams who can't communicate, their project is going to uh, suffer. A cohesive yeah. team with somebody who's the lead, somebody who knows what all three hats are doing in the arena, I think makes the most sense. That's really interesting. And so just to preface this or you know, clarify, you don't need to actually execute the work. And ha- that's not what I'm purporting or proposing necessarily. It's really just you need to be thinking with the execution and be able to be responsible and t- take ownership for it. And it just so happens that actually having experience doing the work that you're designing allows you to do that. Um, the difference is for us is like we, we really dig deep on the uh, exploratory work. So, you know, just for example, if we're doing a bathroom, just to, you know, I think a lot of your audience design might design a bathroom mm-hmm. and a client wants to improve it. The layout doesn't really make sense. Um they want to move, you know, the toilet, the tub, uh, the vanities. And one thing that we are going to make sure we know is, you know, what is the structure? Like, which way are the joists going? How big are they? Because that will um, guide and and help dictate our design um, and the cost, really. Because you could move a toilet one way across the room the whole way, but and is if it's when if it's in between the two joist bays, you're you're fine. Or if the joists are large enough to be notched or bored and still uh, maintain their structural integrity, you're all you're also you could do that. Mm-hmm. But if you're in an older home and you have you know two by eights and you're going to stick a a three inch hole in it, you can't do that. Right. And so what I it's not uncommon for, for us to get calls where they had worked with uh, a previous designer or architect, you know, love the plans, fell in love with it. It's incredible. It goes out to bid and it's literally two or three times the budget they had, you know, expected. Right. What should be done is make like taking those things that are variables and, and finding out what the answer is Mm -hmm. so that one can then design and know what one is getting oneself into. Not, not even in construction, but, you know, in the design process. And, uh, you know, HGTV has made it normal for be like, oh my gosh, there's a beam here. Oh my gosh, there's a, there's a pipe here. Like that should never happen Never, because it's all, it's all clear. If you can find out, like, that's the first thing we do. That's the first thing we do too, by the way. And I'm glad you made the point that I don't actually have to build the house I just have to know who knows how to build the house. And so yeah. I've got to consult with those experts who can come in and poke a few holes in the walls and go yep. into the attic totally. and go into the basement and say, we might have a problem here. So let's talk this through. And then when I'm proposing something to the clients, I can say, of course, all of this is going to be contingent on opening everything up. Um, yeah, HGTV has not done us a lot of favors. Having said that, I've had yeah. my own shows on HGTV. So, um, okay, I, cool. I was, um, no, I mean, I was the earlier class that had really good, oh, that's cool. design, not the, oh my God, <laughs> it's caused some drama class. <laughs> I think the good thing about HGTV is it is, it is mainly design build. Like the designer typically oversees or carries out the execution. Yeah. And even though it's all these made for TV, you know, scenes and stories, it is actually preparing folks and like it's making it normal to folks, this whole concept of 
you know, the industry being back together. I think that is definitely a positive of it. Yeah. Is partly the problem that we want to rush to getting started when really what we should be doing is taking our time to make sure we know all the variables? You know, what I see is more so, it's just not even thought with in terms of like that that is part of the the job description or part of their uh, service that they deliver um, to the client. Um, you know, if the project's not executable, if the project is twice the budget, it's the design's not going to be done. So yeah. it really, you know, behooves it to be done in sequence, like all these components be thought with during the design process as one is going through the design process. Yeah, I'm like you, we only do design build and I do all the scheduling and I do all the invoicing to clients. Everything works through me. So in a way I'm acting as the contractor's contractor. But let's mm-hmm. let's talk about those smaller shops. I think that a lot of designers, when they graduate from design school, in part because they're told this, just do the design and stay out of everything else mm-hmm. because yeah. you're qualified to do these other things. The problem yeah. with that is exactly what you're pointing out. Then you provide a design that has no basis in reality. I don't see any way to actually do this job well without being the person who's the lead on the project and therefore in charge of the design build. And I don't mind mm-hmm. taking responsibility for those things because I'll bring in my best team of trades. Uh, I call them there my team, my contractor that I trust, my plumber I trust, my tiler I trust. I bring those people in. I make sure they make money. Um, I take mm-hmm. care of them. They don't have to chase me to pay them. Um, I handle whatever comes up with clients and deficiencies and all that kind of stuff. So they don't have to deal with that. I just don't know how I would do it any other way, but there's a very big push for interior design professionals to just do some floor plans and pick some colors and stay out of it. And my philosophy is Mm -hmm. very different. I think designers should go to school and learn how to be a contractor Um, because I think ultimately that's what we have to do in order to satisfy the clients, but I don't know. No, you are right. It's really comes down in my opinion to the service to the client. Yeah. And it's very rare today to have someone who can do it all and know it all like, you know, design it, you know, do all the logistics, do all the, you know, execution themselves and it does take a team, mm-hmm. a design build team, yeah. but there needs to be somebody in charge. Yeah. And that can be you or it could not be you. Mm-hmm. But if you're the first person a client is hiring, yes. And you're not and if you're not going to create that team, but you're just you're doing them a disservice yeah. because they they're going to they're going to return to what you did once these other components are filled in. Yeah. And they know the cost and they know what the implications of your plan mean in the in actual reality. And so, you know, it just, it just needs to be. And then also the client is then left in the middle. Like if you're not creating this design build team and the client's hiring you and they're hiring a separate, uh, you know, other professionals, and then there's any discrepancies or issues, who's left, who's left to sort that out. It's all on the client's lap. And it's a problem for them. Yeah. Unfortunately, legislation is going that way more and more. I find it really interesting that legally I can be a client 
and I can hire all these different people and I can screw up the project, but I can't be an interior designer or an architect and hire all these people that I've worked with a hundred times and run the project efficiently and effectively using systems that are tried and true. I just, I find it all completely baffling. Um, what, that the client can do that or what? Yeah, the client can screw it up, um, right? And, and make it miserable yeah. for everybody. But I can't, as a professional who knows what I'm doing, in, in most states now, you can't hire that team of people. A contractor still can. But, and I think you hit the nail on the head. For me, if the client phones me first, then I'm going to hire the trades. If the client phones the architect first, then it's a bit different. I'm happy to allow an architect to lead, but most architects don't want to lead, I find. Most architects want to do the design and get yeah, out. Yeah. Right? And then they're, so then they're trained in liability. Right, yeah. right. But, but the There's tragedy is... You still get sued if something goes wrong and then your drawings, even if you're not on the job site, you're yeah. going to get sued, right? And same thing for me. So right. I think I'd rather have really good insurance and take responsibility and then surround myself with the trades I know are going to do a great job rather than be on some red client yeah. created. Yeah. You know, as you already know, most interior designers are single solopreneurs and they get a lot of pressure yeah. to just do not be the lead. Just stick to the decorating, even though weirdly, mm -hmm. by law, interior designers can build homes by law, mm -hmm. but their own, our own societies are telling us, don't do it. It's too complicated. It's too, you'll mm -hmm. be liable. You know, interior decorating versus interior design is different. You know, if you're doing uh, window treatments and furniture and that's your, that's your like specialty. Great. Like, I think you're, you're, you're okay. But once you start getting into, you know, structure, walls, moving walls, and this sort of thing, and you're into, you know, construction, you need to fill that void. And you need, you know, it's probably not, it's not going to be all at once. So gradually, you're going to learn. But in the meantime, you need to hook up with somebody who's going to be able to fill that void for you. And if you're not, if you want to, you know, if you want to be the general contractor, I don't know all the ins and outs of the law at all but you know if you can do that great or if you want to great but if you don't like still have bring that partner on early mm -hmm. and have you know make sure that that those components that you you know be honest with yourself like what don't you know and then fill those components with someone who's probably going to be more than happy to assist and then you know get help with the the actual project. So um, that would be my, my recommendation. And, and like the whole, the whole insurance business and the whole litigation business surrounding our industry is built on the separation of it. Yeah. Because when you have an issue and if there's, if there's one person in charge, it actually is very simple, mm -hmm. right? There's not all these finger pointings and, and what have you, because one, like one person is over everybody or one entity is over everybody. And it actually simplifies that. But that, that whole like huge insurance and litigation business around this industry is born out of the separation yeah. of designer and, and executor. Yeah. Because if you work with a solid team and you were all on the same page, you would have a very strong position um, no matter what happens. And by the way, nothing would happen because you would all, you know, take responsibility for making it right. 
Ay, ay, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you yeah. went to school to become an architect and then you found yes. yourself in your first job and you're speaking to the contractors, the builders, the developers, and you just found yourself not being able to speak their language. Does that describe it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was like lines on, and, and at a certain point, it was just lines on pieces of paper to me. <laughs> like I had no conceptual, I was just in, I was just coming from classrooms. I had never built anything. I just looked at like pictures of things and drawn things. Right. And right. never like, like seen how things go together. So it was totally a foreign language to me. And um, I felt completely deficient. I suppose to a certain degree, when when any of us graduates from college or university and you have your first job, it's going to be a learning curve. I suppose that that is true, no matter what. Yeah. But did they not teach you business classes in architect school? Did they not teach you systems and strategies for running a business? Or did they prepare you to just go work for somebody else? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with what you're intending in school like I see I see cop friends of mine they they were just geared to like they knew what they wanted to do they were like taking those classes that they they were actually trying to learn stuff to apply it in the real world I what that wasn't me so much so I don't know what they were really trying were to teach me but you were an artist you were dreaming about those beautiful yeah. buildings in Europe yeah I mean I actually I took business classes political science I mean I took all sorts of but I didn't I really learned 90 5%, 90% of what I know from, you know, the real world and, you know, having a good, you know, template for the things that you're going to check on each and every project that you've learned need to be checked for. We just had a project where most towns and cities, if you move a window, it doesn't affect zoning. Right. But in Cambridge, Massachusetts, it does. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, like most zoning code doesn't take up uh, window placement. If it's a historic window, that's a, that's the historical commission. But right, um, yeah, that was a learning lesson for us. I mean, and we but we we owned it. it well, there wasn't a separate architect who was we could be like, oh, he didn't tell us this. It, there was nobody to point the finger at. So we just took, you know we we owned it and we handled it. And laws change all the time. We're just getting some permits yeah. for a project in. Santa Monica, and we need four permits. Like, why do we need four permits? We need the city of Santa Monica, <laughs> beach, like something to do with the ocean front, something to do with environment. I mean, it's crazy. So, it's, yeah. you know, I think I think Massachusetts it's and California. I bet. <laughs> I bet we're pretty. We might be a little similar in that regard. Yeah. And there's a so. benefit to also getting to be an expert in one location, so you know all of these things, right? Um, and if you're yeah. not, then you need to hire somebody who is to assist with the team because otherwise you're going to get uh, trashed. Um, tell me about yeah. the association you created. I'm, I'm starting an a international design build group. They're um, really in that the purpose of it is to connect the industry and, um, you know, bring back a collaborative uh, approach where the client has one single entity that is responsible for a project. Mm -hmm. The architect used to be that, but that, that role has, was dropped and it's never been replaced. So 
it actually takes, and the design builder, the person in charge can be an interior designer, they can be an architect, they can be a contractor. Um, you know, maybe for different projects, the different person might be more appropriate than the other, right? I love what I do. I'm very passionate about it. And I know I help, I help folks. And that's a really happy place to be in too. When you know you can be of service to that customer who phones you, when you're really confident you can help, and then you're not selling anything, you're just offering, you know, you're going to make this offering and yeah. this is something they want and they need. Great. You're going to work together, but you're no longer in the business of convincing people. Exactly. It does make a difference. It makes an incredible difference. Right now, everybody's at home and wondering why they didn't hire us sooner, right? <laughs> totally. It's even more apparent right now. I think that definitely yeah. a silver lining in all of this. We're going to be very busy in the next few years, I would say. Lucky us, right? Yeah. Lucky us. Everybody yeah. just stay healthy and stay well. I'll watch for your, uh, your uh, design build guild to take off. That sounds pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, write, I'm writing a couple books too. And uh, would love folks to check out articles I've written. I have a blog. Tell me, tell me the name of it. It's, uh, it's on my company's website, which is NE New England, stands for New England, designbuild.com. Okay, nedesignbuild.com. Okay, good. We'll definitely mention that yeah. on the top then as well. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Oh, my pleasure, Kimberly. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy a free introductory course which includes three business of design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a business of design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.